Good evening, everyone. Good evening. I'm Ephraim. It's good to see you this evening. And I'm glad you took time to stop by and hang out with us um, for this session. Um, I'll give you a brief thumbnail introduction to me, and then I'll um, allow David to do the same. And just for the record, David and I have really just met. And, um, yeah. <laughs> and, and, and this, this, this was originally billed as something else. And so we've just kind of compared notes and said, okay, let's do this. And so if it doesn't feel very um, <laughs> structured and formulated and so on, that's because we're just here as two brothers having Woo! a conversation and really um, encouraged to share that conversation with you and involve you in that conversation this evening. Is that okay? Yeah? Great. So um, I'm a pastor. Uh, uh, a church in Lewisham, South London, called Ecclesia, which um, I planted with a couple of brothers about 20 years ago. Um, been involved in um, ministry for 30 years, and um, I, I became a Christian. Oh, wow. Well, anyway, it's, it was a <laughs> while ago now. And um, yeah, always born and raised in South London. Um, grew up with a, a God-fearing Christian grandmother who um, taught me to church at the earliest opportunity. Um, I made a profession of faith in the Lord uh, around the age of 14. And um, from that point forward, God's kept me by His grace. Um, I've had opportunity to travel around the world um, as far as ministry is concerned. And um, just, yeah, seen ministry in different contexts and also given very kind of close regard to the black experience in different contexts as it relates to church life. And so um, it's a, a very complex and layered issue as we address that and seek to address that as, as Christians. And um, I'm trusting that the Lord will help us to kind of maybe um, pick through some of those layers and explore some considerations this evening. David, what are you saying? Amazing, Ephraim. Yeah, it's such an honor to just be with you, brother, and, and have a bit of a conversation. I think for me personally, in this session, you know, one of the things that I've noticed in our generation is social reality is very layered. Yes. People are carrying and going through all sorts of things. They're part of social media groups that have really intense kind of things to say, and it's all happening in this virtual space. True. And then people have their personal lives where there's like layers of what they're carrying, and then there's kind of what I would call intersectional complexity within that. So how, yeah. so I live with, I lived with a Nigerian black woman called uh, Vicky, who was an absolute blessing to me, and then she had a very, African experience of blackness, yeah. where she was just like, black is beautiful, and next, you know? Like, I don't know, there's like racism, what? You know, like, we're Nigerian, you know? It's just this kind of like, really interesting thing, and then Tyler Maria moved in, like literally straight after Vicky, and she comes mm. from, you know, she's from a Caribbean, African-American experience, and her experience is so full of pain, and the racism in America, and just, and I'm like, whoa, these are two very different experiences. Um, and then, obviously, with my own story, so some of you were um, here 
for my session yesterday where I shared my testimony, but some of you weren't. So I was an atheist, um, anti-Christian, gay activist. But obviously, I was only 19, so you can only be so much of an activist at that age. <laughs> but you know, I saw myself very much as one. Um, and then I had kind of a very intense Paul-style like baptism of the Holy Spirit and salvation experience wrapped into one in a pub in central Sydney. And like God, I wasn't really looking for God, but I was looking for love, and I just happened to find that God was love in the end. And so that's reconfigured how I now live as a gay man. I've submitted my sexuality to God. Um, but I think what's really interesting in that is I've discovered both how the fall and sin has affected our desires, and then also how our desires were originally a gift in the beginning. So I use the personal hashtag Hashtag fabulous made glorious. Why do I use that hashtag? Talk to us. You need to explain that, brother. You need to explain that. And I've just kept it. It hasn't got old. Because I think, first of all, it makes all my gay, all the gay people in the audience feel more comfortable. Because <laughs> it's like, oh no, he's not going to be like this starchy evangelical guy that didn't know, wouldn't know what I've gone through. He actually gets it. He's a bit fabulous. But I've been like transformed by the glory of God and I've reconfigured that identity around Jesus and it's been submitted to his lordship and I'm living celibately. So that, that was a really, I didn't really touch on that part as much in my talk yesterday, but I think that puts me in a kind of place where I do deal with that intersectional reality of like being gay, being Christian, mm. but also I find all the, t all the way through my Christian experience, I've been drawn to the black community because their music and their affectivity provides space to process suffering in a way that white communities just don't. Um, in the so for me, the black community has been incredibly important in processing all these other things that don't necessarily have to do with the black experience, but yeah. there's some kind of overlap and solidarity. I, th I think it would be good for us to explore where there's real consistency and overlap, and where there's also, yeah. I guess, discontinuity, as to, to coin the term you used earlier, and where actually there's difference in the issues. Um, I recently got a book by a really great brother called Carl Truman. Oh, yeah. And I think it's called the, the Making of the Modern Self. I uh, need to read that. It's a banger. And one of the <laughs> things he says in there is that, um, you know, the whole issue of kind of um, sexual preference isn't a new thing. It's age old. One of the things that seems very new is that it has become uh, somewhat definitive of people's identity. Right. And so it's no longer something that I do, but it's who I am. Right. And so I feel that as we're dealing with these fundamental issues of identity, it may be helpful for us looking under God at the issues to kind of begin to clarify actually, um, you know, how much of it really makes up our identity? How do we yeah. interact with these issues as identity issues? Um, and then, and how, how can the light of the gospel illuminate yeah. this in, in helpful and healthy ways? 
Um, now, I, w I would just give the disclaimer, um, because I'm black, it doesn't mean that I'm the authority in all things to do with black life and culture. Uh, there is no monolithic black c culture. There is no monolithic blackness. I'm speaking from my experience and my view, and I, I appreciate that there are others who share different views. And, uh, and I'm sure that in, in a similar sense, as a same-sex attracted man, you wouldn't kind of claim to speak for all no. Same-sex attracted Christians, but absolutely, yeah. From your view. So, as you mentioned that earlier, mm. you mentioned fabulous made glorious. <laughs> yeah. Hashtag. 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 <laughs> and you related that to um, genuine desires. Yes. Um, and the way in which that those desires were given genuinely, and yet they're more now associated with the fall. Yeah, right. Expand on that a little for us Yeah. Um, as, as to where you're going with that. Well, I think when you look at um, the Genesis account, you see, obviously, what's really fascinating to me is you have both race and sexuality kind of colored through the text. And one of the ways that they are, is that, you know, the word for Adam, Adama, actually means ruddy. It means like, you probably yeah. know, it actually means probably it's saying the first humanity was more kind of a black. Yeah. Which we would kind of expect being made from the dirt, right? Right, exactly. <laughs> so it's like, yeah, but the, the sense of like, there isn't this white original at the back of the Genesis account. True, it's like, actually, we're all just one big human family that has this ethnic ethnic component to our, our nature, and that's a good thing that was originally created good. And the fall, I don't think, affects... It maybe affects how it's interpreted and mm. with racism. But with desire, you see with Adam and Eve, there are these two words to describe the interrelationship of Adam and Eve in Genesis, which is kenegdo and ezer in, in Hebrew. And kenegdo means opposite alike or kind of there's this I look at you and you're other to me but you're also like me oh and then you know Adam has his romantic line of she's flesh of my flesh and bone of my bone <laughs> um, and so you see this kind of yeah this really interesting desire kind of arising in that word for the other what we, we, we perceive as the other. So God has created us with a otherness da, if you like. Yeah. We're like locking onto that and being like, boop, you know, <laughs> attraction, you know. Um, and then the other side of it is ezer. And ezer means helper. Now, that's been misogynistically interpreted in the 1950s to mean, you know, housewife that stays in the kitchen. And that's from the pit of hell. Uh -huh. um, but come you know. on, brother, testify and shame the devil. Come on. <laughs> Gotta stomp sometimes. Uh -huh. <laughs> Gotta get those scorpions under there. On, um, but <laughs> uh, he can stay in hell. Um, yeah. So, Ezer means reinforcement in battle. So, it, when Israel is described, sorry, God is described in relationship to Israel something like 52 times he's described as the Ezer to Israel. The comes in and completes and makes a bit of a mess all again. 
So almost you see in Adam, there's this incompletion without Eve, and Adam is dependent, interdependent is probably better, in, yeah. on Eve, and Eve is interdependent on Adam. Mm -hmm. So then the fall affects this, and the fall has an effect on desire, and it says Eve will desire her husband, husband the ish, meaning man, and then, but, and, but he will rule over her. Mm -hmm. um, this will, yeah, I won't go, keep going on about biblical text, but my point is, in that, I think, fall moment where sin enters creation, that was splintered. And actually, we see that now in how men and women relate and the church is meant to be a space where that is healed again Amen. through the cross. And actually part of that is that there will be an LGBTQI plus community, mm -hmm. people who don't quite fit in the easy, you know, binary of male and female. Mm. And, and you know, we have to come back to that statement, right? Yeah. Because certain people might begin to get nervous at that point as to what are you really saying? That yeah. there is gonna be this community of LGTB, LGBTQI, yeah. and that that is a community that is expected to be present in the community of God. So yeah. we're, we're going to need okay. to come back to that. Yeah, sure. Yeah. But I think the thing is, we just need to go to the Bible and we oh. can see in the Bible that that community kind of was present under the kind of guise of the word eunuch. Right. So eunuch often in the ancient world was just someone who is a bit ambiguous. And True. often they might be effeminate or gay or what we might try to call gay or transgender. It's kind of <laughs> complex. But you see the early church is born through a eunuch in Acts 8. So you see this incorporation of sexual minority experience. Mm -hmm. You also see in Isaiah 56, the promise 600 years before Jesus comes that God will give eunuchs are named better than sons and daughters, mm. not because they're better than heterosexual cisgender people, yeah. but because they struggle with a form of suffering that's more intense because their desires and their gender don't easily um, accord with the created order right. that God established in the beginning. Okay. And that means God has to come in and give them a glory <laughs> that vindicates that suffering, because they don't choose that suffering. Mm. So I think it's not about boundaries of moralistic kind of exclusion, but it's how that all works out in the church, and that sex remains between a man and a woman in mm. marriage. Yeah. So, and, and Jesus talks about people choosing to be eunuchs for the kingdom's sake. Yeah. And so I guess there you see a clear expression of this state of identity which is assumed as a matter of choice right. as a result of their commitment to the kingdom right. and the king of that kingdom, right. no doubt. That's it. And in 1 Corinthians 6, 9, Paul says, such as some of you were, but now you're washed and waiting. And the sense in that text in the Greek is actually that the person is between states. So their same-sex desires don't just disappear. Right but they've tasted something of the future in the new creation. And so th I think what it's saying is, I'm not gonna ma wave a magic wand over you and take away your same-sex desires. It's through them that I'm gonna bring a different kind of obedience. And I think that's right. where the unique thing right. comes in of choosing that, mm. that pathway rather than the other pathways. Amen. So for the sake of clarity. Sorry, yeah. No, no, bro, this is helpful. 
Yeah. I, I'm loving this. For the sake of clarity, what we're suggesting, therefore, is um, that this, this community of same-sex attracted individuals would be such that they are celibate right. in that they, don't, they choose not to express and, and live out that um, attraction um, because of their commitment to the Lord and submission to his lordship. Yeah, I, I would just add an asterisk to that, as that I think s s all Christians are called to celibacy unless the Lord calls them to marriage, and there's the other issue of the idolatry of marriage. True. I think the difference for a gay person, and I'm working on this in my doctorate in, at Oxford um, called Queering the Queer, <laughs> where I'm trying to represent a celibate gay Christian perspective in academia. Mm. I'm looking at basically how gay celibacy is different to heterosexual celibacy in this one aspect, is that it's more likely that you're going to be celibate if you're gay because God is going to not just change that desire. And that means you're kind of forced into celibacy in a way that can feel quite harsh because doesn't matter what you do, your desires are always not going to accord with the created order. Whereas you could be a heterosexual person and choose celibacy, but that's a choice. You're not forced into it. Mm. Like, it, you know, there's, there's a way. And so Augustine actually bumped up against this issue in the early church where he said, a martyr is greater than a holy virgin mm. because a holy virgin chooses their celibacy, mm. but a martyr just has something thwarted on put, them put and they it. must suffer for Jesus' sake. Right. And actually they get a greater reward than um, the Holy Virgin. Mm. In all of this, Augustine says, but if you have pride about it, it's canceled. You have no reward. Right. So pride is the ultimate enemy. We don't want to put people's sacrifices on a hierarchy because we want to put the church in a hierarchy. So that person's sacrifice is... Is, is greater than another oh, yeah. person. Yeah. It's just that God is just. Like, Amen. if you genuinely have to go through a form of suffering that's difficult, God will vindicate that. Mm. <laughs> I think that's a point. It points to his goodness that to the martyr that dies as a gladiator, you know, in a gladiator circle, he's going to give a great name because it's yeah. a horrible thing to go through. Mm, mm. For the gay person that realizes that, that desire, the way their desires are configured can never... <laughs> be in marriage and sac sanctified mm. is incredibly profound form of suffering to go through existentially, mm. especially in a society where romantic love is everything. Right, right. And so that's, that's the difference, right. I think. Now, and, some sorry. people, I, I, I use this as a, as a, a further consideration um, because there, are, there is that sense in which um, there will be those who are same-sex attracted and that desire will never change. And right. yet, in, as, as a faithful disciple to the Lord, they deny themselves and, and right. take up their cross and, and follow Christ. Um, and yet, would you say that it's not un, unexpected or unreasonable to suggest that, like, say, for example, for someone like Jackie Hill Perry? Yeah. Who, I love Jackie. Same-sex yeah. attracted woman, um, yeah, comes to faith, she's now married. I think she's um, got a child or... She's got three. She's been busy. <laughs> <laughs> and so God's uh, obviously... Maybe it's four. I can't I think remember, it's four. But... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Four. So, so, I mean, God's obviously done a work there. Uh -huh. um, I think sometimes... She still and... says a little bit like, 
but women are still beautiful. <laughs> Her so, connecto is a little bit off. So, so yeah. it's not as if the, the desire has been eradicated altogether, right? Okay. Yeah. Now, She's still a bit spicy, I, you know. I, 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 I think that... Um, <laughs> I think that what we've got to do is, is what's going to be helpful because there's yeah. been a lot of drama in this, in this country uh, over um, converge, conversion oh, therapy, yeah. as the government would call it. And, yeah. Or, you know, in some circles, they would call it deliverance. Um, yeah. And so how should we as Christians healthily approach the potential of someone's desire changing? Right. So... I think this is really important. Well, first of all, I think actually asking people who go through this what their general experience is. Like, if you asked Jackie Hill Perry, you know, what's your experience? You're a married woman to a man, but you are otherwise same-sex attracted. Um, she would say, yeah, there's days where I'm more attracted to women than to my husband. Like, every married person has... <laughs> desires that yeah. they have to deny for the sake of their spouse. Real talk. But there's days where I'm more attracted to my husband than to women. Um, and so I have a friend called Sean Doherty, who is the president of, um, or the head principal of Bristol um, Vicar, the Vicar factory there. Um, and <laughs> and he, he says, you know, I'm a Gabby sexual. I'm a, a Gabby sexual. Like before I met Gabby, I was right. a gay. Right. But God just gave me this special grace to be attracted to Gabby. And it doesn't mean I'm not attracted to men, but it doesn't really matter. I only need one woman. Otherwise, it's the same as other heterosexual desire. Right. Um, and I, yeah. So I think this is called a mixed orientation marriage. Okay. And a mixed orientation marriage means someone who normally is attracted to the same sex but they, God has given them a special grace to be with someone of the same, uh, of the opposite sex. Right. Is that, so there are people who have that calling, and I think, so that's why we're not saying you're gay, you're just going to be celibate. Um, you're gay or straight, you're going to be celibate, single, wait, wait for the Lord's calling, and yeah. if he calls you to someone, whatever your sexual orientation, right. he'll provide <laughs> the grace to do that. And I think... That's a much healthier paradigm mm -hmm. than I am a gay, celibate Christian, oh, and no one can understand. If I have had days like that, but <laughs> you know, sometimes this can be a bit of a drama queen. But I think that's a healthier paradigm. That maybe one right. day I will be called to be in a relationship with a woman yeah. and get married. But existentially, there's this greater burden of realizing that's probably not going to happen. It's much less likely. Right, right, yeah. right. Now, I, I, I wanted to... It's a lot. Uh, uh, yeah. Brother down here's got a question. Go um, yeah. James, can you help us, brother? Thank you. Um, after your question, I'm, I'm guessing it's on the topic we've been... Yeah, I'm going to kind of begin to explore some of the, the similarities and dissimilarities. Great. Just here. Great. Thank you, brother. Is that, that's not switched on, sorry. Check, check my, um... No. Sorry, let me give you a hand, James. Hold this for you, If you tap it, we might see it on the, um... Hold this, hold this for you, 
Good, good. Um, Sorry, I may, have, <laughs> I may have jumped in too early here. No, um, it's fine. I've been looking into this whole issue for 30 years. Great. Um, and it matters hugely to me as a charismatic evangelical Anglican um, and as a great believer in Mike Davidson and core issues, right. which believes in conversion therapy. And the godmother of our oldest son was a practicing lesbian who through prayer and counseling came out. She's not alone, there are many of them. And I appreciate that many who do go through forms of conversion therapy don't experience mm -hmm. conversion. And the critique I would accept is that a lot of conversion therapy isn't particularly uh, well-resourced, effective, or trained. And I think that's an important critique, but I think it offers very great hope to the many people who suffer from internalized homophobia, which you would agree is probably 80 to 90% of all gay people, the chance to move along the continuum from exclusively homosexual to maybe bisexual in terms of inclination to maybe further along. So it's not binary homosexual to heterosexual, but it's shift along the continuum. And as I said, personally, and as a, as a vicar, as a minister, I think that holds out great hope and so my concern with things like Living Out and other organizations like that, which take a very good biblical approach in terms of celibacy, is I don't think there's enough potential hope being offered, which conversion therapy does offer. I hate the word conversion therapy, because it's terrible with all it assumes. And it, and it means different things to different people, that, that and it phrase, does it? It needs unpacking, and it needs reform. But where it's at its most effective and done well and sensitively, I think it can bring great hope and cha potential change. Yeah, it, I'll jump in there. I think for me, the conversion therapy temptation is to also provide false hope sometimes, and that's very dangerous for people and can be incredibly painful. And I've had a lot of friends go through that, and I haven't. When I became a Christian as a gay man, I was, there's no way I'm ever doing that. Like, I'm not putting myself in the place where I could be harmed by that false hope. That being said, there are many people who've gone through that experience and have gone down different paths, and I think their voices should be respected. And I think trying to create this weird legal framework where we punish people with a different view and we don't let them express themselves, to me, is anti-liberal and anti-what you know a good society should be doing. I think where I draw the line is with young people. Um, I think young people, it's very delicate area and putting them anywhere near that alternative view isn't right, in my opinion. I think it should be something done as a consenting adult. If you wanna go to some therapy, you know, great. But a lot of young people have been, had that forced on them and I, by their missionary parents or whatever. And I just don't think that's good. We need to be careful. Um, but yeah, that's my view, and I understand mm. others have a different view. Um, that's where I've tried to draw the line. I mean, I could. There's many different voices out there yeah. that you know have more intimate experience with conversion therapy. I don't. I believe in the conversion of grace. I believe that grace saves us. I don't think that internal effort to try to change your sexual orientation is a healthy way to go. Do I think God can produce by grace some kind of changes in our desires? Yes, and clearly that is some people's experience and I don't wanna sublimate that. But I'm worried about a Pelagian approach to sexuality where we try to, and that can enter into celibacy too, where we do like a kind of repressive celibacy. We try to kind of 
force ourselves into obedience. Right. It really has to be by grace. And, and I appreciate that there's so much that can be said about the issue. And so yeah. um, we're unable to take up any more time exploring yeah. that in more depth. Um, and I'm sure that you're accessible to people um, yeah. to, to talk about that. But I think um, connecting it with the issue of ethnicity or more commonly referred to as race and, mm -hmm. and racism and the experience of minorities being discriminated against um, and prejudiced because of their um, ethnicity. Um, I think that it's, there has been, uh, I guess, socially, this idea communicated that it's just like being black, you know, the, the, the discrimination that we experience as the um, LGBT, is, is, it a, is, it, is it the whole, the whole <laughs> acronym? So N.T. Wright and I have had many fun coffees over this. Yes, you know, David, I really just, the alphabet soup, I mean, I really, yeah. you know, and there's I, a lot it, of, the, if the, I, I just, you know, I'm really, they're very different experiences and they're being strung together in a bow and we really should just consider them separately and, you know, blah, blah, blah. However, this has been something of a lifeline to your people. So, <laughs> so anyway, I just enjoy how Tom Wright talks about it. So that's a different generation, you know, yes, for them, definitely. the way that whole thing's come together isn't necessarily, I think there are different histories, you know, right, right. like there's conversion therapy, there's but I think for me, the thing that makes me happy to be part of that community, although a very different <laughs> member of it that disagrees with so much of what it can stand for, mm. um, is that it's about embodiment for me. It's about the body and that our bodily experiences matter. Right. And that in them, we can have solidarity with other people who've gone through bodily differences right. that are difficult to deal with. And we can go, oh yeah, you kind of understand what I'm going through. Right. So when I'm with a transgender person or a Christian start struggling with gender dysphoria, they're like, yeah, I understand. I don't want to get transgender reassignment surgery. Like, I'm, I want to live in this body, but it's really difficult for me. And like the fall has meant that I just don't experience an easy match between my sense of gender and my body right. that's really hard and i'm like yeah i kind of <laughs> with my sexual desires i've experienced that difference of embodiment and mm -hmm. so we can have solidarity across those experiences what i found really difficult is when i see people that are basically heterosexual and basically cisgender so but i think i might be non-binary <laughs> i'm just like but you're not <laughs> you're not gay you haven't like experienced gender dysphoria. Don't try to find a label. <laughs> like it's going too far. Like everything right. just like deconstruct everything. Mm. And that actually cheapens the experience of gay people. It cheapens the experience of people who have like serious forms of difficulty mm. with these questions. And so yeah, yeah. that I don't want to speak against people that identify as non-binary. I just don't want that to become kind of like, I remember this guy is basically heterosexual and cisgender, and he was like, I'm non-binary. And then he was trying to tell me how to live as a gay man. I was like, sorry, no, it was all about power. Okay. I'm gonna have power over your experience. And I think that's one of the big temptations of the LGBTQI plus thing is power, cultural power to defend yourself and kind of, 
And I, I don't like that. And I think as a Christian, I renounce that. Right. Because the way of the cross is not about power. It's about giving your power up so people Amen. can see a different way. Amen. Yeah. And, and so I guess as it relates to black issues, um, I guess first and foremost, you touched on it earlier that in terms of when you look at God's good creation, um, being black is a, a part of God's cr good creation, predates the fall. And yet the experience of being black has also been affected by the fall, but um, in a different way. Yeah. And so there is a, a level at which there's a dissimilarity um, between the experience of those who are same-sex attracted versus those who are of a, a different ethnicity. Um, and so I, I've, I've recently um, done a talk acknowledging the fact that not all identity issues are equal. Yeah. So you would see that somebody who is black would have more in common mm. with someone who is a woman um, by birth um, than both would have in common with someone who is, uh, you know, a gender identity issue, same-sex attracted, etc. And so um, I think it's important that as Christians we learn to work with and deal with nuance yeah. and, and the, the different shades um, of, of attention that need to be given to the issues rather than seeing them all as one homogenous issue. Right. Um, because that's when we begin to really do damage. Um, and also, we, we become less effective at interacting with society as they raise the issues and give their view on the issues. Um, I think beyond that, it's, for me, when, when I look at the um, way in which, for example, the church has responded to the murder of George Floyd and the, the outcry that came about as a result, um, most often I see this sense of Galatians 3.28, we're all one in Christ. Um, if we, you know, fundamentally that means that we're colorblind. Yeah. And so to, you know, acknowledge difference is actually divisive. Mm. You get what I'm saying? Yeah. And to that end, people become opposed yeah. to even having a conversation yeah. about difference because they feel that the have, talking about it is just divisive because we're all one in Christ. And so um, for me, I, I feel that if we can kind of get past um, the simplistic view of Galatians 3.28, understanding that it was communicating that which is, was a salvific reality. Right, exactly. That, whereas under Judaism, um, Gentiles had a different path to salvation women had a, in fact in the temple system yeah. um under judaism you know they had a a, a a a process of ever increasing exclusion yeah so you had the outer courts and in the outer courts you had the court of women and you had the court of the gentiles and that was as far as they could go and then you'd have the inner court where the priests could go and then you'd have the Holy of Holies, where only the high priest could go. And sometimes he got struck dead because he wasn't good enough. 
and they'd have to drag him out by the rope. Thank That's God for Jesus. Amen. <laughs> and so you, you saw that within the framework of Judaism and when Jesus was crucified and uh, the veil, and you know, when we think about a veil, we think about uh, a little veil over a bride's face. This was a, 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 a piece of material that was probably about as tall as that, um, you know, the, the, the black material at the back and as thick as a carpet. And it was torn from top to bottom. Yeah. And so it was evidently an Come act on. of God. Preach. And it represented the fact that the way to God is now open to yes. all. Not just the high priest, not just the priest, not just Jews, not, you know, women over here, and, but actually all could freely come to God through Christ. And so that's what Galatians 3.28 is, is communicating. And we understand that it doesn't obliterate our understanding of difference because the Bible still speaks to the issue of difference as it relates to male and female. We see in the book of Revelation chapter 7 that before the throne of God, yeah. when you see the worshipping redeemed, this group is described as those who are of different nations, different languages, and this was what John saw in the vision. Worshipping in heaven. And so people's um, cultural identity Mind. was retained yeah. even in this vision of the worshipping throng before God in heaven. If it, was not, if it was insignificant and, you know, just merely a result of the fall war and wasn't meant, intended by God for his glory, we wouldn't be seeing that picture of different nationalities and different languages all worshipping God in unity before the throne. There's clearly a sense in Ephesians 3 that God has intended that through the diverse nature of the church, yeah. God's glory would more effectively and radically be displayed like the facets of a diamond. Mm. Each surface reflecting a different aspect Amen. of God's glory. And so it, there's no doubt that for um, the issue of, of race and ethnicity, our approach shouldn't be to just try and homogenize, just no. blend into this kind of pastel, um, uh, if pastel might be your favorite color, nothing against that, but this kind of pastel picture of the bride of Christ. Mm. No, the bride of Christ is a multi-ethnic bride, and rather than avoid our differences, we should learn to celebrate our differences by way of listening, understanding, and encouraging and embracing. And so to that end, I think that the... Mic drop. Come on. <laughs> and, and so, let me just, yeah, we're yeah. almost at that point. So the, the, the areas of continuity and kind of break it down for us because right. at the same time, there, there are ways in which there's similarity in the experience. Yes. Even though from a, in terms of God's creative order, there is a difference. Yes. Help us. So there are two th there's something really interesting as you were talking. It's just so good to be able to have this conversation, by the way, because I feel like it, it's been something we've been afraid of as Christians. It's like, let's just break this down. That's true. So thank you, Ephraim. Um, the thing that I was noticing is with sexuality, sexuality is relativized by the eschatological future of the kingdom. 
What I mean by that is procreation. So the incarnation of Jesus actually pushes procreation to the side. It affirms it, but it also changes it and makes it not the center of salvation anymore. I think that's really an important part of the difference. What does that mean? So when Jesus is born, there's no daddy. Okay. <laughs> like, this is a new humanity where there is no more procreation okay. and there is no more marriage. It's like, so it's, it's a new birth, it's, it's a spiritual birth. Yeah, and, it, and we're all going to be unified through this kind of intense intimacy in the future that isn't sexual and yet sex points to it. So sex is pointing to the future. It's relativized right? under uh -huh. a greater reality that's coming and will pass away uh -huh. and this greater reality will fill that void. I have no idea what that is, by the way. Like, what is that going to be? It's going to be so awesome. And I guess the Apostle Paul, maybe this, uh, I'm, I'm getting this, he hints at this in Ephesians 5, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, marriage speaks of Christ and the church. Yes. Jesus says there's no marriage in heaven. Yeah, because it's already there. You don't need the sign. All the right. signified is, has arrived. All right. So that's a lot of academic speak for probably... I mean, it's hard for us because we have foretasted the future. Like, yes. we, through the Holy Spirit, we know mm -hmm. what it's going to be like. Like, yeah. if you ever have that experience with a Christian friend or your spouse or something, and it's just like the Holy Spirit's like fire, and you just, mm. there's this like intimacy, and you're like, this is so deep. And mm. then, you know, David says to John, Jonathan. John, Jonathan, like, mm. my love is for you is greater than that of women. Mm. What? <laughs> like, a Jewish man is saying this back in like, war-torn Israel. Mm, <laughs> like, this mm, is crazy. Mm, like, mm. And this is like this Christian future breaking in. Right. Um, so what I would say is sexual orientation is also relativized with that. Okay. And will eventually pass away as not important anymore. So mm. I'm not going to be gay in the future, but I will have probably a trophy of grace to carry with me that I lived that out faithfully. Man. And that will matter. Yeah. Um, so I don't think... So that's the difference. Whereas in heaven, in the new creation, everyone's going to be more <laughs> intensified in their ethnicity, not less. Right. And that diversity is just going to break out as a beautiful kind of part of the worship of God in, in how he created us as a diverse humanity. And I think that's a huge difference. One has is both going to be relativized, but also obviously the fall it has affected that. It's not, it's directly affected, whereas race is only affected in terms of how it's interpreted by us as fallen creatures right. and our fear of difference. Right. That also plays into the gay experience to some extent, because if you look at evolutionary psychology, we actually hate what's other than us. Mm. Isn't that interesting? And neurologically, we are wired to hate the other, mm, mm. because in survival, we want to kind of show our strength mm. and we like to homogenize ourselves into little groups to protect mm. ourselves mm. And, 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 and then dominate. And you see that all over human history of empire, empire, <laughs> this mm. evolutionary thing. So you need the Holy Spirit to come in and change that from the inside and mm. reprogram that fallen evolutionary tendency that we have mm. to hate the other. Mm. And I think I'm really excited to see that one go. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's nasty. <laughs> Amen, amen. Yeah, sorry, it's a lot, but... All right, so we've got about seven minutes left, yeah. and so let's um, try and get a few questions from the floor. Um, thank you, James.
Hello, I had the wonderful experience of being healed by God of um, quite a long lesbian history. I had several relationships with women and then God brought me out of that. It was a very deep healing and I'm completely changed. Been married for 23 years and my husband and I have a daughter of 20. And um, I was healed and then he, God sent me off to Hong Kong to work with Jackie Pullinger. Mm. It was a very powerful time of healing in my life. Um, but my point is that maybe we should talk more about God's healing power of mm -hmm. whatever, whatever we have, whether it's fear, brokenness in the whole area of race, or whether it's huge damage or very deep mm. um, uncertainty about our sexuality. I don't go, I certainly, I did go to a group when I was getting healed of uh, being a lesbian. We certainly didn't call ourselves conversion therapy, I could tell you that. Um, <laughs> it was highly secretive. I wasn't able to tell anyone where it was happening because we were totally scared of, of violence towards us. Um, mm. But God works, you know, God heals. And maybe we should talk a lot more about him and his power rather than whatever little sexuality problem we might have or, or other problems we might have. Let's talk more about God's power. But what could I respond to that? I think the greater power is when someone lives something out, their weakness, through that strength. I don't think the greatness of God's power is just when he takes something away from us, like the desire that is, is, is misaimed towards something that's not according to the created order. So I don't think we have to see God's power as, and this is, I'm an evangelical charismatic. I am, speak in tongues, I prophesy, I pray for healing, I do all of that. Never once have I felt the Holy Spirit say, I need to heal you of being same-sex attracted or gay. And I've honestly said, if you want to create change in me, please do. Now, obviously, I think sexuality is very complex. There's a lot of personal history. Some people have gone through abuse and all sorts of things. And I think that does need healing. I think that does need the power of God. But I think we have to be really careful not to make that what causes us being gay or lesbian necessarily, um, or same-sex attractive, whatever you, word you want to use. And so. I have an agnosticism to that because that hasn't been my experience. I was never sexually abused. Um, the very much what freed me is when I realized it was the fall and Adam that gave me that desire and I was able to then live God's power out in weakness. But thank you, I think you're right. We have to not, I do think there's a tendency sometimes in living out to be not charismatic enough. and. I don't agree with that. I mean, I am a card carrying. Amen. I said in the living out meetings, <laughs> we've got a kingdom of God coming here and we've got the Holy Spirit with us. Like we need to talk about that. So thank Amen. you for bringing that up and it's an important, important question. Sorry, it's a complex area. Maybe if we can talk about this conversation, maybe not so much the history of sexuality is important. That is, I also want to get some questions about the intersection of those two things, mm -hmm. if we can. Gentleman over the top there. Thank you. Yeah, hi there. Um, I'm a science teacher at a secondary school. Um, and when I saw the, the title of the talk, I got drawn to it because um, after the, the World Cup, um, with all the racism towards the guys who missed the penalties in the World Cup final, 
Um, our school tried doing a, a bit of a, an anti-racism push, um, but they also wrapped it up with the LGBT plus community yeah, as well. Right. Uh, and they were doing a big, you know, buy these bracelets, wear these bracelets to show that you're anti-racism and that you support the LGBT plus community, uh, which I found a, a real challenge. Uh, I found working in the school quite a challenge for that anyway. There's been a big push for um, teachers to wear rainbow lanyards to show that they support the LGBT kids. I've got increasing pupils who will, number of pupils who will, on a daily basis, you're talking 11, 12 year old, come up to you, oh, sir, can you please refer to me as uh, a different name now, and I'd like to use this pronoun instead, please. Right. Um, so there's a real yeah. tension. I was just wondering if you had any sort of thoughts in terms of how best to engage with that as a, as a Christian working in that sort of workplace. Ephraim, do Go you, because I've said a lot, so if there's anything you want to say. Um, I mean, I think that Evidently, it's a very challenging situation to be presented with because you're being presented this situation by your, you know, your bosses, basically, your senior leadership in the school. And so it's no doubt going to cause waves. It's going it's to be notable if you choose to kind of make a distinction and say, you know, I'm very much uh, opposed to racism and um, yet I don't see the two issues as being the, the same to the extent that I would support or, or want to communicate a support for this issue in the same way that I would racism. I think one of the things, I used to work at the Royal Albert Hall and um, in the staff community there, probably 80 to 90% were same-sex attracted individuals and um, when I went to work there, I struggled a great deal because I didn't realize that that was what the environment was like. I was working as a steward, and um, it, as, as a Christian, I felt like I was in Sodom and Gomorrah, as it were. And um, the Lord really rebuked me because in that time, he, he really challenged me to see that um, these people's choices were no different in his eyes to those of my friends who were promiscuous, who were, you know, unfaithful in their relationships, who were, you know, in that sense. And I, in the same way that I was able to um, have relationship with those friends, um, whilst not condoning or agreeing with their lifestyle, I ought to be able to do the same in that community of, of employees. And um, it was a rebuke because I was very hard-hearted and after that it really challenged me to change. And so for me, I think the challenge is how do you make the distinction whilst not rejecting and communicating a rejection of people because of you know, their, their, their lifestyle? Um, some people use the phrase that you know, we, we hate the sin and love the sinner. Um, and it, it's, it's not always the most helpful language, but the reality is that there has to be a way in which we can communicate uh, a sense of um, God-ordained affirmation for these individuals who are created in his image, for whom Christ came and died, um, whilst recognizing a distinction, especially within those issues as they're compounded. Um, and so I don't know if you've got any advice as well as to how I think to navigate it's that. really difficult. I, I want to write a book on this actually on the difference between solidarity and fellowship 
Because as Christians, we're called to a certain very intense kind of fellowship where we are one in spirit together as a church. And solidarity is a very different thing. You can have solidarity with someone who's gone through a similar experience to you. You can say, you know, well, I have a different ethic as a Christian to the mainstream secular world, and so do a lot of my LGBTQI plus or same-sex attracted friends. I want to represent the fact there is a different way to be gay. I want to represent that there's a different way to be, you know, trans and live out those things. And I just want to keep that space open for my brothers and sisters as a Christian who I'm fellowship to who need that space and feel like the secular world is trying to close it and, and, and persecute them. And so I think what we need to really do is really say there's a different way to be gay and to enter into those conversations and say, it's, it's actually more diverse than you think it is. You're trying to make it more monolithic, not less. Um, and yeah, we get that you want those rights to live in a different way to Christians, but Christians also need rights to live out those things differently. And I just want to make sure the school is a place where there is that true diversity. And I, will be un I would be unhappy if you would exclude me from being part of that process just because I hold a different ethic like other LGBTQI plus people. And then I think it's really important to say with the experience of being you know, racially um, diverse, that this is, a, this is both a continuous thing but a discontinuous thing, as Ephraim said. And we just need to hold those things in their difference and in their similarity. Um, so if you can come in at that, then you're breaking the cultural script Amen. that the church is being forced into by the media. And that will then, you know, then if they do persecute you, it's their problem. <laughs> and only God will, he will judge them. But we have to actually find this other way of a loving, truthful response. And I think it's really helpful to have testimonies like mine, living out, um, and then also to talk about, you know, have people who have testimonies about race as Christians to speak into critical race theory and mm -hmm. how that yeah. is both a wonderful thing but can also go in the wrong direction, just like queer theory can be helpful to us as Christians in some ways, but also can take us in different mm -hmm. wrong directions. Now, that we have to end here. Um, our brother, Steph McLeod, is going to be coming to share. Yeah. And um, you're good, Steph. And um, so, you know, we don't want to um, take up his time. It's good, but yeah. But we want to thank you so much thank for you, uh, accommodating us, for sitting with us, chilling with us, thinking this through together. And um, we trust that the Lord will, by his grace, aid each of us as we remain open to the work of his spirit and seek to be faithful to his word as we work through these issues and seek to be faithful witnesses for our loving savior jesus christ and so can i pray to that extent that the lord would help us as we wrap up lord i thank you for david and our opportunity to um, have this talk this evening. I thank you, Lord, for all who have, who have gathered and who have heard it. And I, and I know, Lord, that you have gathered us here because we have needed to have this conversation. We've mm. needed to explore these issues in this way. And there is a way in which you are edifying and strengthening us, enlightening us, empowering us 
to be your witnesses in a very diverse yes. world and that we would be as a people, a, a, a diversely unified people who reflect and exhibit your glory to a hurt and dying world. And so we pray, Lord, that you would have your way in and through us, that you would take what we've heard, that you would use it to draw us closer to your per perfect will and purpose in these things and help us to apply it in our context in those ways that are effective and helpful. And so we commit ourselves to you in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Bless you guys. Thank, Thank you, you, everyone. Thank you.